to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I am unfortunately under the weather. Here are some three episodes to tide you over. See you tomorrow. Sometimes when I'm at a McDonald's, I wait until nobody's looking. And then I stick my hand inside the straw dispenser and touch all the straws. Secrets. I've reinvented my image so many times that I'm in denial that I was originally an overweight Korean woman. I'm disappointed. I was told he might appear wearing the little Richard jacket. And uh, the Rolling Stones are opening up for him. It's the first time they ever saw him. And they weren't really very well known. There's about six kids rushed to the front, you know. That was their fan base at the time. Everybody was there for Little Richard. I think Bo Diddley was on the, the show and all that. And it was priceless. I'd never seen anything so rebellious in my life. Some guy yells out, Get your hair cut! <laughs> and Mick says, and I'll never forget these words, Well, I look like you. <laughs> Uh, how do we honor David Bowie there's I mean he really has that was the first part was him on Conan talking about reinventing I mean everyone associates the term reinvention with Madonna but I'm sorry Bowie started it Bowie well he's one of the one of the few who started it if you think of Moon Age Daydream, those lyrics, I'm an alligator, <laughs> to Gene Genie, to the Thin White Duke, to Let's Dance, to at my personal favorite, Ashes to Ashes. Welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Um, so, timing is weird. Timing is weird. And in 2016... January 8th was David Bowie's birthday. He releases an album called Black Star. What we didn't know is that he would die two days later on January 10th, 2016. I'll never forget it. And a friend of the show, Kevin, texts me. He texts me in the funny way that he usually did. And said, I'm stunned you didn't tell me. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, you usually tell me when someone really well-known dies. And I said, who died? And he said, David Bowie. And I went, no. And I'd been taking a nap. I think I was watching Sherlock. And there it was. David Bowie, dead at 69 from cancer. Huh. There's a really great documentary out called Moon Age Daydream about David Bowie. I haven't watched it yet. He was an actor. He was a performer. He was a mime. He was funny. I mean, he nailed that Mick Jagger impression in that clip. 
And even when he couldn't really do an accent in a movie, like when he was playing David Bowie, or David Bowie, sorry, he is David Bowie, when I'm tired, when he was playing Andy Warhol in Basquette, that Jean-Michel Basquette, and he really couldn't nail Warhol's accent, and you could still hear David Bowie. <laughs> oh my god. Um, it was really good also in The Prestige. Oh my goodness, playing Nikola Tesla. So he was an actor, he was a performer, he was an artist, he was this chameleon. And anytime he did something new differently musically or acting-wise, you would you were just in in awe. And I never got to see him on tour. And I remember I knew a girl in college, she told me she saw him on tour and she was disappointed because it wasn't the 70s it wasn't the look and the Ziggy Stardust and it was just Bowie the performer naked naked as a performer because he had nothing to hide behind but I never felt he was hiding behind it that that was his performance and he was born David Robert Jones Davy Jones and decided to change it to Bowie the 1960s he was finding himself and then he did Space Oddity in 1969 but it wasn't until 1972 that Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars were born and and how he really looked as a performer to distance himself because he often joked that he did away with the 60s with his sound and it was new and it was fresh and how he had been influenced by the writing of Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd and I love when he says there's something quite not with us about Sid Barrett but I wish I loved his writing and I remember watching that one time my mother's walking around she's like oh my god that coming from David Bowie and it's like yeah ah Bowie Bowie, Bowie, Bowie. Toward the end of his life, he put out an album in 2003, and then he just, and then he did a tour, and then he had the heart attack. Um, and then we didn't hear from him. And then in 2013, where are we now? The first single was released on his birthday, and thus became this reveal it was usually his birthday he would put out a single or an album and he put out the next day and either it was the next day or black star they were working on it and they said how are we going to do this live and he says we're not going to because he did not want to tour ever again probably for health reasons um And um, it was around 2015, Bowie was writing songs for a Broadway musical based on SpongeBob, SquarePants cartoon. The final production included a retooled version of No Control from Outside. Bowie wrote and recorded the opening title song to the television series The Last Panthers, which aired on November 
2015. The theme was used from The Last Panther was all the title track for his January 2016 release, Black Star, which is said to take cues from her earlier quadrant influence work. According to the Times, Black Star may be the oddest work yet from Bowie. On December 7, 2015, Bowie's musical Lazarus debuted in New York. His last public appearance was at the opening night of the production. Black Star was released on January 8, 2016, Bowie's 69th birthday, and met with critical acclaim. His producer, Tony Visconti, revealed that Bowie had planned the album to be a swung song and a parting gift for his fans before his death. Several reporters and critics subsequently noted that most of the lyrics on the album seemed to revolve around his impending death. Well, yeah, because he knew at first, you know, the cancer was in remission and then it came back. So he was living truly on borrowed time. That is a human experience. As, you know, everyone's going to die one day. And here's David Bowie who controlled every aspect of his career and subsequently his life. And here he was controlling that art form that he did so well. And he knew when the time was going to be. That's it. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. He wrote the song, Ashes to Ashes, Come On. But as a performer and as an icon, when he was alive, he was an icon. He was this enigma. There was so much to Bowie that we didn't know. And I like that. I like that there would be little nuggets that he would leave for us. Easter eggs, as we call it now, here at the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Because he wasn't just a singer. He was a performer. He was an actor. He was a mime at one point. He was a comedian. He knew how to get his audience. He joked and said, it took me all of the 60s to kind of find my my way, which is true. And he had had the meeting with Warhol in the 70s. And then, you know, how funny is he develops a Ziggy Stardust and then he becomes this really great producer and he has two performers from two legendary bands that ended too early too soon and that was Iggy Pop and the Stooges he produced Raw Power or no he did he? no he didn't he produced Iggy's solo albums The Idiot and Lust for Life and then Lou Reed of Velvet Underground. He produced Lou's breakout solo album, which is Transformer. And you can hear David Bowie on Satellite for Love singing background vocals and uh, Take a Walk on the Wild Side and um, Perfect Day. Oh my God. So he wasn't just this artist. But he was a fan of music first and foremost. And to give that to Bowie, I mean to Lou Reed, whom I absolutely loved, and then to Iggy Pop, 
that those Berlin years where they went to Germany because they wanted to get clean off of drugs and just make art and make music and you know there Bowie did Heroes and, and Low and um, Heroes is such an iconic song and the meaning of it always changes and of course Let's Dance and there's there's so many eras to Bowie That's that's the thing with these bands and these performers is their eras and how they are able to revisit it and he's he'd often said that he felt like that was other lifetimes you know whether it's Gene Genie or the Thin White Duke or Ziggy Stardust and you know go back and sing those songs with feeling and but as a performer, as an icon, and I remember that night after hearing it, that he had died, just sitting up and watching CNN all night long and just taking in the news and the information and listening to the songs, and watching the videos and that one song that he put out in 2013 I'd rather be high and it's like whoa and then the song the next day and then the video he really knew his energy and his worth as a performer and so when he died it truly was stunning it was shocking and here is this this chameleon who delighted and intrigued us with his art all facets of it dies days after his birthday and after his final album and there's and there's been something said about that about that I don't want to touch on because I don't think that's any of our business to obsess over his death or obsess did he know you know in terms of the time and but he was a performer and he knew first and foremost doing what he did best that he could put out this final collection called the black star with Lazarus which is such a beautiful video and song very evocative and then to put out the single or I'm sorry, Black Star, Black Star and Lazarus, the two videos, Lazarus, uh, or no, Black Star came first. It was this, oh my God, this very provocative, long piece, and it won him a Grammy, posthumously. But it was Lazarus that really stunned people. And the lyrics where he's singing, you know, about mortality. And he's in a bed. And then how he's got the same clothes on that he wore in Station to Station. And how he comes out of the wardrobe. And then toward the end of the video, he goes back into the wardrobe. 
And so those are the Easter eggs and those are the nuggets that Bowie, Bowie was really good at that. And it's, it's the music. It's the music that we, we talk about and the art and the films and the videos. And so as a performer, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And it became his swan song, truly did. And that was perfectly planned by him and his team. (sighs) So, yeah. 2016 was a weird year. We lost a lot of well-known people. And it began with the loss of Bowie. Lemmy a couple of weeks before, but Bowie. Bowie really, and then Prince months later. And so on January 10th, 2016, seven years ago, David Bowie died. And we celebrate him. We always will. His foibles, his, you know, there's, there's been a lot said about Bowie, his indiscretions. And it's like, we're talking about the music and the, and the the acting. And so usually I would do unpleasant dreams toward the end of the show because I, I really enjoyed Bowie. Oh my God. Anytime he was going to do something, it was like, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to leave you with his final film from 2006. Unpleasant Dreams. Wherever you are, David Bowie, thank you. So, this is the great Anton. Mr. Ellie has refused to vouch your act to me on any number of occasions. Hold out Arthur hand. conducting the electricity. Our bodies, Mr. Angier, are quite capable of conducting and indeed producing energy. Have you eaten, Mr. Angier? (laughs) I need something impossible. You're familiar with the phrase, man's reach exceeds his grasp. Is the lie? Man's grasp exceeds his nerve. Society only tolerates one change at a time. First time I tried to change the world, I was hailed as a visionary. Second time, I was asked politely to retire. (laughs) So here I am, enjoying my retirement. Nothing is impossible, Mr. Angier. What you want is simply expensive. If I were to build for you this machine, you would be presenting it merely as illusion. People actually believe the things I did on stage, they wouldn't clap, they'd scream. I mean, think of sawing a woman in half. Mr. Angier, have you considered the cost of such a machine? Price is not an object. Perhaps not, but have you considered the cost? I'm not sure I follow. Go home. Forget this thing. I can recognize an obsession. No good will come of it. Why hasn't good come of your obsessions? At first... But I followed them too long. I am their slave. And one day they will choose to destroy me. <laughs>
If you understand an obsession, then you know you won't change my mind. So be it. Will you build it? I've already begun to build it, Mr. Angio. I hope you enjoy the mountain air. This will take some time. I've seen Edison's men. film podcast last night I finished Pale Blue Eye directed by Scott Cooper Christian Bale Harry Maley Jillian Anderson just to name a few really great great cast I finished it I loved it the critics didn't love it and that's fine as I've always said on this podcast fuck the critics because you are your own interpreter of what's good what's not good um, I absolutely loved it and I was talking to a friend about it and, and yeah it moves slow at first but then it hits you it hits you in um, such a magnificent way and uh, but I, I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed it and the, there's a really great reveal and here's the two main actors, Christian Bale and Harry Melling. Melling. You know, this is this, this, this kind of like dark gothic murder mystery kind of thing. That's got to be a really fun genre for you both to get to play in, as I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And, you know, the atmosphere of this, the way it looks, the work of the DP master, it's as much of a character as any of the actual, you know, people in the film. Uh, it's uh, just superb. And yeah, I loved it. It was a big part of uh, why I wanted to make this. Not case for you as well, Harry. Absolutely. I mean, the whole landscape of the film, the gothic nature, just how cold and brutal it looked. Um, I, I, I really feel that you get a sense of that every single frame of this this film, the sort of harsh reality of what these characters are living through. Yeah. And just, yeah, you sing about the DP just before, and just, yeah, that was one of my big takeaways was kind of, you know, the darkness and the winteriness and how just moody and atmospheric the whole thing is. And just, did that kind of come through onto the set as well? Does, like, did you kind of get that atmosphere while you were shooting it? Did you, was that kind of a revelation when you sat down and watched it for the first time? Well, it's always a revelation for me, just the beauty of Marcia's work. You know, we made Out of the Furnace and Hostiles together now, Pale Blue Eye, and it's just incredible. Um, um, so there was a sense of it on the set but nothing like the magic that you actually see, you know, in the film. And I wanted to tap into that. I mean, you've got Christian Bale playing the detective and Harry Melling playing Mr. Edgar Allan Poe. But yeah, the, cin- the cinematography is the, the main character of the film. Beautifully done. 
Mm. Now, yes, it is award season, and whether it does or not, this really deserves to be nominated. It is so well done. Cinematographer, uh, I want to single him out. He really should win. I thought it was beautifully done. I mean, my my second favorite to the cinematography was uh, the Northman, of course. Masanobu Takeanaji. That is the director of uh, cinema uh, photography, cinematography. Um, directed by Scott Cooper, screenplay by Scott Cooper, based on the pale blue eye of Louis Baynard. Mm. I really feel that. Okay, I want to say his name right. This this is a really great actor. He was in the Queen's Gambit, Harry Potter. Harry Melling. Harry Melling. He really should be nominated for playing Edgar Allan Poe. As should um, Christian Bale for playing Landor. I absolutely love this film. And then Gillian Anderson, who plays this very <laughs> um, eccentric, mysterious character. Robert Duvall. I, oh, come on. Robert Duvall is in his 90s now. And um, yeah, he doesn't do many films. He really doesn't. It says he's still working. So it's like, shit. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, but I, this is part two of uh, The Pale Blue Eye. And just the takeaway from it. Oh, the cinematography is just winterly feeling. And I literally wrapped myself in a blanket and watched it. And then the power went out. As I was finishing it. And so I finished it. Thank you, Data. <laughs> through uh, Netflix. And um, I, I absolutely loved it. I can't stop thinking about it. I want to revisit it. And I want to watch it again. Um, with Christian Bale, it's always... That really is a state-of-the-art performance. Each time he does something on screen, whether you like it or not, it is, it is really well done. And um, Harry Melling, oh my goodness, I I found myself googling Edgar Allan Poe. I've always been aware of his work. Edgar Allan Poe's work, I think, has been really overly dissected. I think if you were to find it out for yourself, to read it, he died at forty. He was so young when he died. But that doesn't. This film doesn't focus on that. This film focuses on the detectiveness, detectiveness, the detectives of this film and also literature in 1830 New York, upstate New York, to be exact, West Point. Yes. So um, it was atmospherically amazing. And but with a really good cast. And I, was, I wasn't I was finished with it and I recorded last night and I thought, because I knew I loved it. I already knew in the middle of it that I was going to talk about it again. And um, I've, I've read some very unflattering reviews and that's the thing with reviewers. Reviewers, I think sometimes they have vendettas and I think they they overly 
dramatize what they really want. I don't think they know what they really want or how we pay attention to them, like the whole Rolling Stone singers and the controversy. Who cares? That's that's Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone hasn't been relevant in a long time. Just to, just to tell you. Um. Oh my God, this this film is just magnificent, and I and I love the look and the feel of it. And uh, Augustus Landor, Christian Bale, and Harry Melling as a uh, Mr. Edgar Allan Poe, and a, a really great supporting cast and if I can there's not a lot of clips to play because this is a mysterious story Mysterious it is. It's it's really uh, yeah, yeah. Variations because we really want people to be able to enjoy this a second time once they understand what was going on the first time to be able to go back and see breadcrumbs that we left that were hints and clues throughout. And so we we tested the boundaries of that, you know. And I would do some takes, and Scott would say, "Ah, that might have been a little too much." Then others much more subtle, and then he, he really put it together uh, like a. a, a and that's Christian Bale talking about really there's a trail of breadcrumbs to this film there's easter eggs and the ending itself is very very mysterious I wanted to film this in a way that felt almost black and white but in color so that it felt austere something that's absolutely gorgeous to look at and if it's really bloody cold it just feels more real it's just incredibly cinematic and stark and rich at the same time every day you walk onto set and you're just stepping back in time the governor suggested you were a legend we're looking for someone intrigue and blame it is who done it it's a fictional story about a series of murders that take place at West Point. This was no prank, Mr. Landau. Leroy Fry's heart was carved from his chest. The powers of being at West Point enlist a legendary constable to discreetly come and investigate these murders. And while investigating, he comes across a young cadet with incredibly keen observational skills that the world would later come to know as Edgar Allan Poe. The man you're looking for is a poet. Landau is a very practical guy who has been accustomed to using his strength of character and force of will throughout his life. Your reputation precedes you. Poe's mentored and 
by Landor in a very unexpected way. They kind of form this friendship, this bond, and they help each other try and solve the case. You say you found something. I am pleased to report I have successfully decoded your message. This is the third film that I've written expressly for Christian. He tends to embody my characters in ways that, frankly, others couldn't. Where are the facts? Where are the simple facts? The truth! Harry Melling, well beyond my imagination, bringing the Poe that I envisioned to life. The heart is a symbol, or it is nothing. I've just been so fortunate in this to be able to cast actors that I've long admired. Lucy Boynton and Gillian Anderson, Timothy Spall and Simon McBurney and Harry Lothie and Toby Jones and Robert Duvall. The clerk left behind instructions for securing immortality. Murder and blood and mystery and a lot of creepiness and dark woods. It kind of messes with your mind. Nobody is who they seem to be. Every time you think you know where the story is going, it kind of takes another left turn. Is it true, Poe, Detective Landor interrogated you about Fry? It's something where you can have zero knowledge of Poe and just enjoy it for a detective thriller. If you are a Poe fan, holy crap, you know, this is just a goldmine. Now, now, now came the hot, thrashing flurry, black with hell, charnel fury, believing only. That deathly pale blue eye. That's the behind the scenes of the pale blue eye. And I promised, as I always do at the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, that I would finish talking about what I started last night. So the production started in February of, uh, or no, was it? Not February. Filming began in November of 2021. And, um... It was released to select cinemas on December 23rd, 2022. And released through streaming on January January 6th, 2023. <laughs> these, these reviewers, I'm reading them. I'm laughing because I'm not going to give them their uh, whatever they want. So as we end tonight, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I wanted to wish a very happy birthday wherever he is, Mr. David Bowie. And talk about a mysterious person and also Elvis. But this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Unpleasant dreams. And stay safe in the storm. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Right now I'm in the midst of watching The Pale Blue Eye starring Mr. Christian Bale and it's very, very interesting. Edgar Allan Poe there's a lot going on in the pale blue eye first of all the film nerd in me come on cinematography is beautiful Christian Bale Harry Maling Gillian Anderson directed by Scott Cooper Christian Bale is a retired detective investigating the gruesome death of a West Point cadet 
with help from a young Edgar Allan Poe. I'm not done with the film yet, but I, I have to tell you, it is, a, it is interesting. We live in a world of true crime, and um, everyone is intrigued by that. But this is 1830. This is 1830, and this is before that whole true crime genre that so many of you love, especially podcasts. But you know I do films. Um, would even come to light. Is it true? He once elicited a confession with nothing more than a piercing look. With enough patience, a suspect will often interrogate himself. Detective Landor, one of our cadets, hanged himself last night. That's the matter for the coroner. I'm afraid that's not the end of it. His heart was carved from his chest. Mm. What type of fellow could do this? You have to be. A bad man. Needed to decipher this. Rumor has it there are instructions for immortality. Someone there? We are no closer to finding who's responsible for this than we were a month ago. We are closer. It's only a matter of time. It's available on Netflix, and it is very intriguing. Now, if you know anything about Edgar Allan Poe, you know, quote, yep, very dark, a lot of death, a lot of mystery, a lot of intrigue, and a lot of symbolism. That was the stuff of Edgar Allan Poe, was the symbolism, the stories, Anything and everything unthinkable under the sun, and um, I am, I am intrigued by this story, and I'm intrigued by this film, and it doesn't hurt that you have Christian Bale <laughs> in it. It really doesn't. I mean, he's probably one of our great actors. You know, I mean, he he's he's not. Um, a stranger to such things if, if you remember American Psycho <laughs> which he did and here we are he's playing a detective and um, 
Yeah. With the symbolism intact, though, I mean, it is intriguing. As I say, I'm not done with the film, but I already like it. I'm always noticing that critics, the critics weren't too kind, and that's fine. That's fine. But the viewers themselves are more so the judge and the jury of these great films. I was thinking of a friend who who watched it as well. If we could have a meeting of minds for that. Right now, it is cats and dogs outside. If you've seen the news here in California, especially Northern California, the wind, I mean, this is the perfect night to watch this film. I mean, it's windy, it's rainy, candle going. Um, I, I love films of this nature. I really, truly do. But the film nerd in me is like, oh my God, the cinematography. Just the look and the tone of the film is, is really something. And it's set in the 1830s. There's a lot about the 1830s we don't know. Just think of it. There were diseases that they couldn't diagnose. There were things that... Afflictions they thought were... Of another world. Not realizing that they were part of... You know... An issue in the genes. An issue in um, health. Things handed down. I mean, you know, this is, this is way before the Victorian age. You know, before everything is black and in mourning. So, yeah, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. The Pale Blue Eye. Directed by Scott Cooper. Christian Bale. And even the legendary Robert Duvall has a, has a small role in this. That's, that's when you know you're, <laughs> you're on to good stuff. And then Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson. Um, I mean... Fresh off of playing uh, Margaret Thatcher in The Crown, and then uh, we all know her from the the X Files. But yeah, I I am really enjoying the film, and um, I'm I've been aware of of Edgar Allan Poe for a long time. I come from a family. I mean, we re- we read, we knew about literature. I remember when The Simpsons did that whole quote the raven and you know nevermore nevermore and as a kid it, it it i was confused by it and then as i got older i went oh okay there we go it's saturday night it's saturday night the perfect time to watch a film the perfect time to just stay in and enjoy your surroundings and it's been one hell of a week and it's been one hell of a night I can tell you that but yeah be intrigued be open to the pale blue eye the story grows and it continues to grow that's that's really the essence of a good story we we live in this world where there's too much of get it now get it now get to it get to it but when the story builds that's that's when it's everything right there and so yeah I, I've, I found this intriguing and um, but at, at the helm of it is Christian Bale and Mailing who plays or Melling who plays uh, Edgar Allan Poe so yeah there's there's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of intrigue to what is really going on in the pale blue eye 
And um, I, like I said, I, I love these stories. I love these stories where we can go back and we can kind of piece together what happened during that time, what happened during this this era of uncertainty. I mean, we live right now in an era of uncertainty. We truly do. And um, the pale blue eye is... Uh, along those lines ah, so I'm going to finish the film I hope you all enjoy it when you watch it it's on Netflix you can watch it um, there's a lot of great films coming out and what's interesting is uh, The Pale Blue Eye was in theaters briefly and now it's available to stream and that's the world that we live in and I kind of like it that way that if you can't make it to the theater, a month later it's available to stream. So, indulge yourselves and enjoy the pale blue eye. Yes, I know this is a short one tonight, but like I said, I want to get back to the film. And then tomorrow, I will dive into the banquet that is the pale blue eye. Unpleasant dreams. Unpleasant dreams.